Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Gary Ware. Now, this is actually sort of a, a weird part two interview. We had uh, started off, got about halfway through, and technology totally failed us. So <laughs> we, we won't try and re- we won't try and recreate it. Um, but for for you listening, if we it sounds like we're referencing something that uh, you didn't hear us talk about, it's probably because we were talking about it before and just forgot. So anyway, <laughs> Gary, um, why don't you introduce yourself and just let people know who you are and what you're about? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much, Brock, for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Gary Ware. Uh, I run a company called Breakthrough Play, and it's my mission in life to help adults just improve in all areas of their life. And the tool that I use happens to be what I like to call transformational play. Um, it's, a, it's a mix of what I've learned in the world of improvisation, and it, it brings some aspects of positive psychology and, more importantly, play. All right, so play, improv positive psychology. Um, all right. So when, when I was going to school, you know, that wasn't really like a career field that was uh, available to me, or at least that anyone told me about. So how do you end up doing that? Yeah, it wasn't on my uh, radar is what I wanted to do either. Uh, I am, uh, I was trained in the world of uh, marketing, um, digital marketing specifically. And as I moved up the ranks, I realized that I needed some soft skills because I was being put in these leadership positions. And yes, I was technically equipped to do the job, but I needed help in public speaking and leadership, communication, empathy, all those things. And these weren't the things that were naturally taught. It was just more of the, oh, just go figure it out. But being someone that wanted to do really good at my job, the first thing that I sought out was how can I be a more comfortable public speaker? And that's how I stumbled upon improv. And it's a very unconventional path to take because most people will go the route of Toastmasters. And I tried that. It just didn't fit my personality. I I felt very anxious and judged all the time. And then a mentor of mine said, well, well, Gary, you might be good at improv. And, you know, I, I looked at him and I was like, um, I don't really consider myself a comedian and never had uh, training in theater. Uh, I was a little bit uh, hesitant, but I took it. And I'm glad that I did because those improv classes were, one, first and foremost, so much fun. Um, those two hours that we were learning how to take the skills that improvisers use to create things on the spot to be quick on their feet to be more creative um, was such an amazing relief from a very stressful uh, work environment. And then two, I quickly learned uh, some really great games that I just brought back to my team because I, I liked it. And I was like, wow, this would be great. Unknowingly at the time that those games helped to create a sense of positive psychology amongst our group. It helped us listen better, communicate better. And then, uh, that's how my passion for this started. All right. So listen better, communicate better. Very good things. Uh, and, you know, that that's a whole subject to itself. And we'll, we'll make <laughs> yeah. it but but I'm kind of curious. So you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you weren't really comfortable with public speaking, with feeling like you were being judged. So improv just seems to be like you're opening yourself up to that even more since, you know, it's you, you don't even have the chance to plan out what you're going to be judged on. Uh, so 
how did that, why was that a natural transition for you? Yeah. And it was so interesting because that was my initial thought too of, wait a second, we're creating things on the spot. Like everyone's going to be judging me, but doing these games, these improv games, uh, I don't know, something magical happened. Well, first and foremost, because improv is a team sport, one of the rules in improv is make your partner look amazing. So I immediately felt more comfortable uh, just because I knew that no matter what I said, the people around me are going to support it. And they're going to, in the improv world, we, there's a concept called yes and, which means that you um, acknowledge and agree with what was said upon by your um, scene partners and you build on it. So I knew that I had complete support. So it just made me feel more comfortable to just take risk. Now, not everything landed. Not everything was um, a hit. And that was the other thing that I learned was how to fail gracefully. Um, and just, I like to call that uh, training in the sandbox because um if we made mistakes, if we had scenes that didn't go well, we celebrated it and we moved on. And I felt like unconsciously it was training me to embrace those characteristics in my professional life. Now, that's interesting that you mentioned that improv is a team sport because I have never thought about improv as a team sport. And, you know, business is also a team sport that we typically just think of as an individual sport. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we have our career, we have our job, but really for us to be successful, we've got to be able to do it in conjunction with others. Agreed. So what were some of these games that you were able to bring back to your team as you explore improv and say, hey, this is kind of cool. And you mentioned you, you brought it to your team. So how was that received? It was actually received very well. Uh, my team at the time were uh, a bit younger than me, so they were open to that. Um, and I was uh, surprised that as I brought it to some of the older uh, members of the staff, uh, they were well received as well. There's, And then as I started studying about the psychological uh, aspects of play, as adults, we're actually uh, suffering from play deprivation. Uh, and, and when you invite people to play it, you know, something magical happens. So one of the, just a simple game, uh, that I would bring, and it was a great icebreaker. It was a great thing to do before meetings, just to get us warmed up, um, and get our mind primed for collaboration. It's a game called one word at a time story. And that is a very simple uh, game that you can play with a group of any size. But the premise of the game is this. With your group, you're going to co-create a story one word at a time. You get a topic of a story that's never been told. Someone starts uh, with the first word and then it keeps going around the circle. Uh, everyone contributes until you find like you have a resolution and then the story's done. And that simple game, it teaches uh, the team a lot of things. One, it teaches you to listen. You cannot pre-plan in this game. You may think you know where the story is going. But you have to listen because at any moment, someone may say something that might send the story in a new direction. And you have to be okay with that. You know, the other thing is thinking on your feet. 
uh, supporting because with this game, not everyone can say all of these uh, amazing words like alligator or amazing or whatever. Sometimes you have to be that connector, the person that says, therefore, and because. And that's important because without that, you won't have a story. And just like in business, we need those people that are going to be those connectors. Not everyone is going to be the rock stars, the Kobe Bryants. We need the, the supporting players as well. And and then also, you when it's done, you realize you created something that not one person could have created on their own. So – all right. So, so that's really interesting. Just thinking about, I mean, cause I can, I Im- immediately go to just all the parallels to work there. You know, <laughs> yeah. again, we don't, we, we don't all create it on our own. We do need support players. Um, we're not always the star. Sometimes, sometimes we are, sometimes we get to use the good words. Sometimes, you know, we are just the conjunction. Mm-hmm. And so how I, I'm just, I'm just so curious though, like, you come back and you're like, hey, let's do this game. We're going to tell a story, you know, setting that up it, and, and, and maybe, you know, your team just knew you and it's like, oh, OK, that's Gary. We'll play along. So but when you because you're a consultant now. And so when you go into businesses and you're suggesting these activities, what kind of pushback do you get or do you get any pushback about it? Well, uh, no, um, I, I don't because, again, it's set up in such a way that people were saying, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Because when I was first starting doing this, I thought improv. Improv was the answer to everything. I was quickly uh, met with resistance because not a lot of people wanted to do improv. They, in fact, were scared of improv for, you know, obvious reasons. And then when I learned more about what we were doing, I was like, oh, this is play. We need play. Again, met with resistance because, um, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, you know, especially you know with uh, extremely busy, uh, busy businesses, they're like, uh, you know, we don't have time to play. You know, we need results. Um, you know, play is for later. And then I, you know, started to realize, all right, what do the companies need? Well, they need results, yes, but more importantly, they need training. They need training in those soft skills because there is a study that shows, and I believe Google first started this with a project called Project Aristotle, where they were on a mission to find out what made the perfect team. But the studies show that of your technical skills that you've learned through certifications or through schooling, that only amounts to 30% of your overall success. The other 70% are those soft skills, uh, which, uh, you know, we call them soft skills. I like to call them people skills. That's the leadership, communication, the ability to collaborate, critical thinking, empathy, all of those things. And that's what I bring to the table. So I go to an organization and I say, hey, look, um, are you looking to improve in any of those ways and invest in your employees? And they like say yes. And I say, Great. I'm going to bring a more unconventional way uh, of doing this, where we are going to have an immersive experience, where we're going to play games, but locked in those games are going to be those hidden meetings that your team will easily and effortlessly find those connections to their day-to-day routine, just like how you did, Brock, you know, playing these games and starting to see, oh, this is how this is connecting to this. And more importantly, instead of a normal lecture, 
where I'm talking at you and you're taking notes, you're actually involved. And then you're going to be more likely, because we're doing this in a low stakes environment, be able to apply this once the training's over. So that's my approach. Nice. You know, one of the things I found in just the little bit of training work I've done is that if you say, hey, we're going to do a role play, everyone freaks out. Like, <laughs> exactly. they all hate role play. But the constant feedback you get at the end is, wow, we really enjoyed the chance to practice a skill. So if you just refer to it as skill practice, then you're like, mm -hmm. everyone's okay. They're cool with it. And, and so I, I love I love the shift that you're talking about there. Like, no, it's not improv. Don't freak out. You know, really, we're just going to do some uh, unconventional immersive experience. So <laughs> Exactly. And... <laughs> You know, use some business speak and everyone relaxes and then they can get into it. And then <laughs> and when I'm done, I say, hey, guess what? Did you have fun? Yes. We did improv and we played. What? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny how we just get hung up on, on words <laughs> like that, even though that's exactly what we're wanting to go do. Um so what, so you mentioned that, you know, this builds soft skills and collaboration skills and some leadership skills. Like when you are done working with, with a group, those probably aren't the words that they're using. What are the words they use to describe what they come away with? Yeah. And it's, it's great that you mentioned that Brock, because every group is very personal. Um, and that's some of the magic what I do, because after we do one of these games, I ask um, a simple question. I say, how did what you experience right here in this game relate to your day to day work? And they will start to make such profound connections. You know, they would start to say things like, wow, I can see why it's important to not just to not interrupt someone, you know, while they're speaking, even though I'm like, I'm excited and, and yes, I'm doing it out of a good nature just because I'm excited, but it may give the impression that I don't value their opinion or they may come up with um, things like, Oh, I see now that I am a micromanager and this is actually keeping my team from doing their best work. You know, they will come up with their own, uh, sort of connections of, of what this work means to them. And that's what's important is that it's personal and it relates directly to what they're working on. Okay, so how do we gain the benefits from this? So, so Gary, not everyone can have you come into their company because, you know, you have a finite amount of time in your life. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not everyone is going to go out and join an improv troupe. Mm -hmm. So... How can the just the the average person, the average manager go? Okay, we are, we're going to use these, develop these improv skills, these play skills. Um, I, I love the phrase you use that we're we're play deprived, uh, suffering yes. from play deprivation. So, but and, but you also mentioned it that like you know business is looking for results. So how can the average manager say, okay, we're going to develop these skills, and don't worry, I think it's going to lead to better results. Yeah. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, they have to have this belief that they want to create a culture of, of positive um, or psychological safety uh, where the team feels comfortable um, being themselves. That is that is paramount. And yes, most 
companies, if you ask them like, yes, I, I want my, my, you know, employees to feel comfortable, but are they creating that environment? They have to be open to that and open to shifting the way that business is done. Um, you know, someone that you mentioned to me, uh, Rich, um, and, and his book, um, Chief Joy Officer, you know, touches on this a, a little bit uh, about just the actions that leaders do that make their team feel comfortable. And I, you know, I talk about these games, but it could be anything that is making the team feel like they belong. That is first and foremost. If, if you're not creating this culture where, where people feel like they belong, they're not going to improve. Uh, there's some stats on um, just it's interesting because they can quantify researchers can quantify how much a person who is a bully or um, commandeering, how much that is costing an environment in, in dollars. And so if a manager um, you know, sees the opportunity and says, you know what, I want to grow my team. I, I, I realize that you know, we need to have this culture of, of continuous learning. Um, you know, they need to first have the mindset. And then two, anybody can bring these games. You know, these, um, these games, I like to say, you can play any game. And if you have the intention of, we're doing this to build our skills, then after the game, ask that question. All right, how did this experience um, relate to what we do on a day-to-day basis? I kid you not. Um, I had, um, you know, I was in the moment, just had, need to think of something. I had an extra 20 minutes. And so as a way to help their leader, uh, a leader understand their employees, we played a quick game called uh, Monopoly Deal. It's a speed version of Monopoly uh, that doesn't take four hours. You can do it in 15 minutes. And I had the leader watch his employees play the game with the intention of learning how their employees make decisions. And then afterwards, we had a discussion about it. And then we did a debrief. And then, um, you know, we talked about strategies where um, we can understand strengths and understand potential challenges and what we can do about it. Um, well, first off, I'm just trying to get my head around the idea of playing Monopoly and then debriefing it in 20 minutes. And <laughs> so, so, so I, that may be irrelevant. Yeah. This is a card game. So it's not like the normal Monopoly. This is a card game that is intended to be a fast version. Uh, but the the intention of the game was, I have this belief, how you do anything so how you do everything. And that's the beauty about okay. doing these games is that your unconscious um, abilities, your unconscious decision-making is going to come out in everything that you do. And so if that is what you're trying to dissect, you're just going to just watch people, you know, who's going to be the person that is extremely decisive, that is throwing things down, that is very, that makes the bold moves. Who's going to be the person that is laying back and, and, and being a little bit more strategic and, and watching things unfold and then come out. And then again, how does this connect um, to our day to day? And our brains are so amazing like that the brain is always connecting the dots and trying to connect the dots well say more to this idea of how you do anything is how you do everything yeah and i like this i learned this uh it was in a personal development book uh forgive me i don't remember the name um and once i heard that i started seeing that everywhere uh in the book 
they were saying, if you're a type of person that is always hitting the snooze button, what else are you hitting the snooze button in your life? You know, how you do anything is how you do everything. It's like sort of like a Tony Robbins thing. And I started realizing that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, because I started seeing how I was playing these games and how people were playing these games and then starting to make the connections of like, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, you know, if you are, you know, if you're playing a game like Monopoly Deal and you're the person that is sort of like holding on to everything because you want to make the right, right choices and, and maybe you're not making bold moves, you can probably with uh, almost like 98% certainty um, realize that you probably do that in other areas of your life. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It just, it is what it is. And the cool thing about doing this in a quote unquote play environment, it's a low stakes environment where then you can start to see where else am I doing this and then be open to making suggestions. However, if you're on the work, in the work environment, maybe it's in a one-on-one meeting or a review, you might be a little bit on edge. You might be a little bit defensive and you might not necessarily be open to that feedback. What is it that you um, find people have misconceptions about your work? Yeah. And I'm switching um, gears here quite a bit, I realize. No. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No worries. Yeah, uh, there is, like I said before, when I when I say, oh, yeah, I bring play, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the value of play. Um, again, you know, some people might see it as a waste of time, you know, something that's very frivolous. Some people might see it as something that kids do. Um, but uh, there's a lot of research out there that shows that play and a playful spirit is what you need for any sort of creativity. It's what you need for innovation. It's what you need to create a strong bond uh, between teammates. Uh, however, you need to have that mindset that this is going to be something that is valuable. However, if you have, it, it's very um, sort of, it depends on what side of the coin is you you're looking. If you see an event as something that's a waste of time, you're going to view it as a waste of time and it's going to be done in situations where you want to waste time. And so that's why I said mindset is very important. So one of the misconceptions people have about the work is that, oh, this is just some boondoggle that HR is doing that means nothing, you know? Um, however, they may have done something in the past that maybe was poorly executed or wasn't tied back to company results or, or back to the company. And so that just became the perception. And so then anything that is sort of in that vein is seen the same way. Uh, so that's one of the big things. Uh, the other thing is that, oh, this is just for millennials. This is a millennial thing, you know, younger people like this. No, I've done workshops for people as old as 85 you know it works across the board um again if you have the right sort of intent and it's delivered in the right fashion it can be very uh, a very powerful experience you know i always like to play with the extremes and <laughs> yeah con contrast things that way you know because when you say well people uh, you know i don't really have time for play you know that seems kind of frivolous i mean when you think about well what's the opposite of that you know I don't have time to have fun, be creative, be collaborative, have some fulfillment in my life. I am too busy being miserable and <laughs> in my in my little box, and that's where I'm going to stay. And Gary, you can't make me come out of that. You know, it it, it just gets ridiculous at that point where, where you start going, 
well, if I don't have time for that, what, what am I spending my time on? Exactly. Um, and Brock, real quick, if I can just add, yeah. um, a doctor, his name is Dr. Stuart Brown. He wrote uh, a book called Play and how it you know shapes our world and shapes our mind. Um, he said, the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression. And he's one of the people that talks about how adults are going through play deprivation because they're now that we have, you know, more ample research on neuroscience in the brain. Um, what he means by play deprivation is when you withhold, you know, sort of like that play spirit, um, you go through um, a lot of things that could be classified as depression um, over fatigue. And then when you just add that spirit of play uh, back into your life. And it doesn't have to be, again, this is where play is such a broad spectrum. Play is not just, you know, sports or, or, you know, uh, being goofy, you know, sort of like the gesture, sort of um, the mischievous play. There's so many different areas of play. And researchers have said when you're in a play, sort of play mindset, it's like being in the state of flow. And when you're in the state of flow, time just goes by quickly. You're getting immediate feedback. Um, you're just going with the flow. And when you're deep in play, that's what it's like. So, I mean, that pushes it to a, a whole different thing when we talk about <laughs> flow state. Yes. Um, you, you know, that, that that's really interesting because uh, I, I haven't connected play at that level. I mean, I, I love being playful. I love... Uh, I, I want to have fun rather than be miserable. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I want to enjoy rather than be depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, but to even think about that beyond collaboration, beyond everything else we've talked about, but as a way of getting into flow state, um, that that's really fascinating. You know, one, one of the guests on this show was uh, Tomas Ranakari, who's a violinist. And he had mentioned, and I can't recall if he mentioned it actually on the show or if it was just in conversation, you know, before we started recording, but he talked about how when he plays in front of an audience, that is how he gets into flow state. Like he just drops into it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I've never heard anyone else talk about, you know, when they're in the middle of their work, that, that, <laughs> that they just go to that state so quickly. Yeah. So, and maybe this may be going deeper than we, we can really talk about here, but <laughs> if, if play takes us to, to that flow state, um, how can we get into it? I, I, I don't know, more, more quickly or at least more intentionally. Yeah. It's well, first and foremost, you hit the nail right on the head intentionally. Uh, a lot of times people, they see their work as like just another thing and they go in again, how you do anything, how you do everything. So if you're just like, Oh my God, I just have to slog through this. Well, yeah, it's going to be a chore. Um, and it's, it's funny. I like to bring back a quote from, uh, a Disney movie, Mary Poppins, you know, and she, she talks about like in everything that must be done, you know, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap, you know, the job's a game. And so my, my question to you is, or into the listener is how can you find that aspect, especially if something is um, such a chore, how can you find that aspect that is enjoyable? Uh, again, you know, referencing Rich's book, um, you know, chief joy officer, like joy should be at the top. Joy doesn't necessarily mean fun. Uh, joy, you know, just it's, it's a state that is deeper than fun f uh, or in happiness too. happiness is fleeting. Joy is just, um, you know, this just deep feeling of belonging, fulfillment and quick story. 
so I was at a movie theater and um, it's a movie theater, movie theater by my house. And there's this older gentleman, his name is RB. It's just R and B. And I see him every time. He's always just such, he's just enjoying everything about his job. And he's a ticket taker. That's, that's his job. And it's interesting. He, I, I've seen other people in this job and they just seem so miserable being there, but he just enjoys it. And one day I just had the courage to ask him. I said, RB, like you're just so happy. And I just love, um, you know, seeing you, it just makes me happy. You know, how come? And he said, well, I just love people. And, and this is just something that just brings me a lot of joy and, you know, and that's just how he goes into it. So if you take it back to just any other job, what is the, what about it could you find that is going to bring you joy and how can you, um, just get deep into that, um, into that flow state? Yes, we could go deeper about removing distractions and, and how can you uh, reduce stress and all these other things? Because, those are barriers to flow. Those are barriers to that enjoyment. Because if you're on edge, like, oh, am I going to get this right? You know, people are going to judge me. Oh, my gosh, this is high pressure. Yeah, that's going to uh, raise your cortisol levels, your adrenaline levels, which is going to keep you from reaching that flow. Yeah, where can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about you? Yeah. Um, well, you can uh, go to my website, breakthroughplay.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you just look up Gary Ware. Uh, that's me. I'm on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, yeah, that, that if you, yeah, if you want to find me, those are the main areas. And final question, final question I always ask all my guests is, what can the audience do for you? The person listening to this right now, what would your ask be of them? Yeah, uh, so I have two asks. Uh, one, I I'm all about making work better. Um, so if you found something interesting that I've said, uh, my ask to you is try it out. <laughs> try it out. See if it works. Um, prove me wrong. Uh, that it, it, like we need more people that are willing to go outside of the box, do unconventional things to, uh, you know, make this a better work environment. Um, it's, it's like the power of one, um, you know, pay it forward. Um, you know, that's the first and foremost thing. And, and let me know how it works. Uh, two, if, you know, if you are looking for um, ways to bring more joy to your work, to help your team be more collaborative or communicate better, hit me up. I'm I'm happy to talk about stuff like this, whether I actually come in and, and do a workshop or not. You know, this is my life's work. And it's so interesting because if I would have thought back, you know, 20 plus years ago, I wouldn't even considered this. So this is quite interesting that I'm on this on this journey here. So, yeah. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Gary. Thank you for having me, Brock. It was uh, such a great time. 